Your experience at Joy Church will be unlike any church service you have ever attended before. We are not about religion. We are about a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. At Joy Church, you'll hear live and vibrant praise and worship music. You will be loved and encouraged. You will be confident that your children will learn about Jesus in a fun and safe environment. You'll be assured that your youth will be loved and accepted not only for who they are, but challenged to become who they were created to be. At Joy Church, God's Word is delivered through creative, humorous, and relative teaching that will help you apply the Bible to your life. There is a place here at Joy Church just for you, where you can begin to develop a vibrant and exciting relationship with Jesus Christ and discover your divine destiny. Let's take a look at what we're going to talk about tonight. Keep it simple. Saints, keep it simple, saints, or learning to enjoy the abundant life. Now, you heard in Pastor Jim's announcement, he's also talking about uh, abundant life, and, and he's hitting a different angle on it than I'm hitting on it tonight, but I'm hitting an angle, this real important angle that I think will help everyone if we'll uh, track along with me here a little bit. You know, a lot of times Christians really feel like it's a struggle to walk out their Christianity. It seems so difficult seems so complex. I mean, there's so much teaching out there. There's so many uh, angles and so many uh, uh, strange curves that people try to go down to accomplish their Christianity. But let's take a quick look at a verse, um, John 10, 10. And I want to look at this verse from the Amplified Bible. And it says this. It says, the thief, that's the devil, the thief comes only, he has one goal, only in order to steal and kill and destroy. If you ever want to know what the devil's will for you is, that's it right there, to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, I, that's Jesus, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So if you want to know the devil's will for your life, it's to steal, kill, and destroy. If you want to know Jesus' will for your life, is that you would have and enjoy life, have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. But I know a lot of us, we look around and we go, well, gosh, I don't feel like I'm walking through life to the full till it overflows. And many times we attribute that to the difficulty of walking out our Christianity. But I want to tell you something that's very true, and I want to tell you something that's very profound and something that's very real. Ready? Christianity is simple. Christianity is simple. Now, I know some of you are fighting that statement already right now in your head, but Christianity is simple. Now, let me tell you what I didn't say. I didn't say Christianity doesn't require effort. I didn't say Christianity doesn't require discipline. I didn't say Christianity doesn't require commitment. All that is true. I didn't even say it's easy. I said it's simple. Simple, uncomplicated, not difficult. It really is simple. So much of life, so much of what we deal with in life is difficult and challenging and hard. All right? We would all love for life to be a little more easy like it is for this woman and her approach to life. Let's take a look. Oh, this is bad. This is really bad. Oh, I don't know if 
I should be out in this. I can't do this. Oh, this is bad. This is really bad. Is there a problem? Why are you following me? Oh, there's no problem at all, sir. I'm just doing what I've always been told. My daddy always said if you get stuck in a snowstorm, you look for a snowplow and follow it. Well, I'm finished with the Walmart parking lot. You want to follow me to Best Buy? Oh, yeah, sure. Thought I'd snow you a snow video so you could cool down a little bit this, this summer. That's not what we're talking about, all right? We'd all like life to be a little more easy, but if we live our life like her, we'll never get out of the parking lot, okay? All of us have to deal with complicated things in life. I mean, try to understand the tax code. I mean, we've all done that every year. Try to get Comcast to come out and fix your cable. True story. True story, this week, just the other night, I spent an hour and 20 minutes on the phone with Comcast and did not have a resolved issue by the end of that call. That's difficult. That's complicated. That is not the way Christianity is designed to be, okay? But a lot of Christians believe that because life is complicated, that their Christianity is supposed to be complicated too. God didn't design it to be complicated. He designed it to be simple. All right? Now, there's a difference between simple and easy. Here's a life point that I really like. Look at this. Our flesh likes things that are easy and require no effort. You know that's true. We all like things that are easy in our flesh. You know, we love the infomercial that says you're going to make a million dollars by investing other people's money in flipping houses. And you can do it all in an in a afternoon of work, you know, for about a half an hour, and you'll be a multimillionaire. Well, that sounds exciting. And that sounds fun. I love getting rich and getting rich quick. But the reality of it is, it doesn't happen. And it doesn't work. Well, yeah, but I heard about the one guy over here that did that. Well, he's the guy that came up with the program, <laughs> that wrote the infomercial that you're paying for. All right? But see, our flesh loves to hear about that. But our flesh doesn't love to hear work diligently, be faithful, Spend less than you make? That's no fun. It's no fun on the flesh. You know, our flesh loves to hear about the, the latest diet craze that all the stars are involved in. You know, or how to lose 30 pounds by eating nothing but chocolate cake. We love, we love those. Or how to, how to, you know, how to lose weight by watching TV. You know, whatever these, you know, and they're all out there. And we look at them and go, yay. But our flesh does not like to hear, eat healthy, eat less, exercise. That's no fun. It's not exciting. You know, back at the first of the year, um, I made a decision. I've been lazy in my eating and lifestyle habits for way too long. And so I, I needed to lose some weight. I needed to lose about 30 pounds. And I finally reached a point where I got tired of it long enough to where I did something about it. You know, I discovered something. 
If you wish the weight will go away, it doesn't. <laughs> if you want the weight to go away, it doesn't. It's amazing how that works. So I tried that for a couple of years. I tried to, to want to lose weight, and it didn't work. I tried to wish my, the weight would go away, and it, it wouldn't. So finally, at the first of the year, I decided, okay, I'm tired of it. I know what to do. I knew what to do all along. And I finally decided I need to do what I know to do. And I did it. And so between the 1st of January and the end of February, I, I, I knocked off 30 pounds. Now, I don't know how many of you came up to me in that time or after that time and said, Pastor Dave, you lost a lot of weight. Tell me your secret. Tell me how you got there. Tell me what you did. And you wanted to hear a really good story about some diet pill I found somewhere that I ate <laughs> or, or, or I don't know what. But it was funny because I watched most of your faces when I told you the answer and nobody liked the answer. <laughs> the answer was, I got used to being hungry. <laughs> the answer was, I had to eat less. I had to eat healthy. I had to exercise. Now, the answer was very, very simple. I knew that answer all my life. I've understood that to be the answer all my life. I just didn't want it to be the answer all my life because the answer wasn't fun. But yet I knew that to get where I wanted to go, I had to do what I needed to do to get there. You see what I'm saying? The flesh doesn't like that. But let me give you a different life point. The spirit likes things that are simple. Not necessarily easy, but simple. And it doesn't mind doing what is necessary to accomplish it. And there's a difference. There's a big, big difference. And see, Christianity is simple. But it's not always easy on the flesh, and it's not always easy on our schedule, and it's not always easy on our discipline, all right? And so many times for us to experience the abundant life that we want to experience, instead of sitting back and hoping God will dump this abundant life on us, we need to get into the Word of God and take a look at, well, what am I supposed to do? Where's my part in this? How do I walk this out? Because I know what God's will is for me. I know what His desire is for me. How do I get there from here? And that's what, what God wants for all of us. Okay? You know, Pastor Jim talks about, and it's very true, so many ministers and pastors, they take simple things and make them complicated. I mean, they try to make the Word of God look like this really difficult thing to grasp. Right? You can't understand the Bible. I need to show you how to understand the Bible because it's tough to understand. Let me tell you something. Pastor Jim does the very opposite here at this church, and I love it. He takes challenging, difficult things and makes them simple, turns them into nuggets, helps us learn how to live out our lives on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and all through the week, all right? You know, Solomon was the same way. You remember Solomon, the wisest guy who ever walked the face of this earth other than Jesus, pretty wise fellow. If you go back and look at the book of Ecclesiastes, that whole book's about Solomon basically trying and doing everything and discovering and telling us that it was all futile and a waste apart from your personal walk with God. Anything we do outside of doing it together and for and with God is vanity. It's futile, everything under the sun. And Solomon does all this, lives his big, long life, the wisest guy, 
comes along with the final summary at the end of his life over in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, and he said, basically, this is the hold of the matter. This is the assignment. This is the job of mankind. Fear God and obey his commandments. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Jesus was that way, too. Jesus was the most wise person who ever walked the planet. So we've got the two wisest guys here to learn from. What did Jesus say? Remember the man came to Jesus and said, what, what do I do to have eternal life? You know, how do I walk this out? And basically, to paraphrase, Jesus says, well, let me make it simple for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, go be about doing that. And if we'll spend the rest of our lives doing that simple instruction, guess what will happen? We'll accomplish everything else in that book. Why? Because Jesus made it simple. Okay? He's not a difficultier. He's the simplifier. I'm going to tell you a secret. Secret of success. You ready? There is no secret. There isn't a secret. Okay? The success is found in the fundamentals. The, the success is found in the day-to-day. -day. You know, any good coach, any good team coach is going to teach you the fundamentals. Right? Any successful coach is going to make sure you implement and walk out those fundamentals in every game, in every practice. I, I heard, uh, say, oh gosh, what's the, I'm not going to ask, but there's, there's a, the University of Connect, Connecticut women's basketball team, you know, one of the best women's basketball teams. What? There you go. Ariyama. Uh, I heard a quote about him from one of, the, one of his former players. It was, it was a quote that he says to them all the time, and I, I thought it was a great quote. She said, he doesn't tell us to keep practicing until you get it right. He makes us keep practicing until we can't get it wrong. Now think about it. That's called above and beyond. That's called the second mile. And guess what? He's got eight or ten national championships to go along with that. All right? What's he done? He's drilling them on the fundamentals. We have a son, Paul and I, we have a son who, who's a, a sergeant in the United States Army. Very proud of him. Love him. He's an awesome man of God. He is out. All right, so right now, right now as we speak, he is in the Philippines, and he is learning, uh, and they're doing jungle combat and survival training in the Philippines right now. And he's having a blast. I mean, he's loving it. He texted us the other day. They actually killed and ate a cobra the other day on their jungle survival. Now, a lot of you look at that and go, ew, I think that's cool. All right? And so they're doing all this cool jungle stuff, and they're out there doing all this training, and it's very exciting. It's very fun. And to him, he loves this kind of stuff. But guess what? They don't get to do the jungle survival every day. Most days is the boring drilling that they're going through to establish the foundation. Now, I'm not saying your Christianity is a boring drill, but what I'm saying is sometimes anchoring in the fundamentals takes a disciplined continuity that a lot of us don't like and a lot of our flesh doesn't like. So why do they drill the soldiers? Why do they drill the army? Why do they get them up every morning at a certain time and run them through uh, physical training? And why do they go and repeat and repeat and repeat things? The reason they do that 
is they so want to train these soldiers so that when the time comes and they need to respond to a situation that's going on around them, they're not having to react out of their heads. They're responding out of their training. And they know how to handle the situation because they've been drilled in that situation. Same thing with sports. Guess what? Same thing with Christianity. What do you mean? Well, the more I fill myself with the Word of God, and the more I tank, Pastor Jim has shared this for years. This is one of his statements I love. He says, put the Word of God in you when you don't need it, so it will come out of you when you do need it. I don't know how many emails and, and phone calls and testimonies and letters I've seen and gotten from you, and Pastor Jim has, has seen and gotten from you over the years, and, and, and I've heard this over and over and over and over and over again. If it hadn't been for what I learned from the Word of God through Joy Church, I never would have been able to handle this situation the way I handled it. Well, what are they describing? They're describing what I just said. They put the Word of God in when they didn't need it, and then when life came at them, it was there to draw from and be able to respond to life in a very successful and in a very fruitful way. Look at this life point real quick. God won't do it for you, but he will do it with you. And he wants to help us prepare to accomplish this very simple thing called Christianity. So many of it's caught up in the daily details. So let's talk about six healthy habits to help you have an abundant life. Anybody want an abundant life? Yeah. Want to enjoy it? Yeah. You want it to be something you're actually experiencing and not something you're hoping for and wanting one day? Yeah. All right, let's talk about some healthy habits, some things that will help you get there. Number one, you knew this would be there. It's, it's the key, and it's got to be in every top ten list of anything when it comes to your walk with God. Spend quality time with God in the Word and prayer each day. Quality time with God in the Word and prayer each day. This isn't rocket science. It's fundamental. John 1, verse 4, it says that in him, in Jesus, is life. John 6, 63, Jesus said this. He says, the words I speak to you, they're spirit and life. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. All right? And we need to be fed spiritually by God and his word. We, we understand physical feeding. We all like to eat. But you know what? We need to spiritually be fed as well. And your body is not designed to eat one meal on Sunday and fast for the next seven days. You ever notice that? By the time you get to Wednesday or Thursday, it's pretty tough. None of you can hack it. All right? Your flesh doesn't like it. Guess what? Your spirit is not designed to gorge on one meal on Sunday morning or Saturday afternoon or two meals, if you include Wednesday night, and starve the rest of the week. You remember the manna in the Old Testament when they were in the wilderness? When it came time to gather the food, the manna, they couldn't gather more than one day at a, at a time other than the night before the Sabbath. They had to gather it daily. And that manna represents the Word of God. And the Word of God is designed to be consumed daily. It's designed to be daily spiritual food. And the best way to grow as a Christian and as a believer is to spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, spend time with God every single day. It's the basics, it's the fundamentals, and it's super important, guys. Number two, second healthy habit, applying the Word of God to your daily life. You know, Pastor Jim tells us this almost every service. He says, I don't tell you what to do, I tell you what? tell you how to do it. But guess what? Once he's told us what to do and how to do it, 
we're still not doing it. Right? Until we get involved by actually doing it. See, knowing what to do and knowing how to do it isn't enough. I knew what to do and how to do it to lose those 30 pounds I needed to lose. But I didn't do it until I did it. Right? So doing the Word of God is key. It's not just hearing the Word. It's doing the Word of God. James 1.22, it says, Be doers of the Word and not just hearers only. It says if we do that, we deceive ourselves. Hebrews 4.2, it says this. It says the Word did not profit them. It didn't benefit them because it wasn't mixed with faith by those that heard it. And what does that mean? Well, you know, Romans 10, 17, it says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so when we hear the Word of God, the Word comes, faith comes with it. But that's not enough. How many of you have ever met somebody that's gone to church all their life but never grew as a Christian? I have. Don't volunteer that that's you, but, you know, somebody you know that goes to some other church, right? You know, they got, they got their perfect attendance awards hanging on the wall. They've heard the Bible taught every week. Well, it's the church's fault. Well, uh, let me throw out an example. Judas, he went to the first church of Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ for three years and heard the word taught better than anyone's ever heard it taught. But yet, what happened? He didn't, he didn't do it. He didn't live it out. He didn't walk it out. And so what does it mean by mixing the word with faith? Faith, how do you do that? You do that by receiving the word, by believing the word, and by applying the word, by walking it out. It's the living out part of it. Look at this life point. If we focus in on doing the do's, we won't have time to do the don'ts. You know, and the, and the real truth is you can't do a don't, Right? If the Bible says don't do this and don't do this and don't do this, which most people think the Bible is, it's a whole big book of don'ts, right? Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Well, you can't do that. What do you mean? Well, you can't do a don't. A don't's a non-action, right? The only thing you can do is a do. And so that's why Jesus says, or, 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 or Paul says over in, in um, Galatians 5.16, he, he says, if you'll walk in the Spirit you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. What are you saying? He's saying instead of focusing all your attention on not doing what you shouldn't be doing, focus your attention on doing what you should be doing. Because if we focus on doing what we should be doing, we won't even think about doing what we shouldn't be doing because we're too busy doing what we should be doing. And it's all about how we orient this thing because we get it backwards. Don't do drugs. Okay. But what do I do? And that's what we need to understand. And the Bible is full of lots of do's to help us with that. Okay? Here's another good life point when it comes to seeing those do's. Obedience is always a choice. Therefore, it's always possible. You know that. Obedience is always possible. But I've tried to do the word. It's hard. Stop trying to do it in your own strength. Stop trying to do it with your own ability. God's equipped you with everything you need to help you do it. Look at this verse over in Isaiah 41. Great verse. Isaiah 41, verse 13. Not verse 3. Verse 13 is what I need. I may have given you the wrong word. Here's what it says, or wrong verse. It says, for I, this is God speaking, for I, the Lord your God, this is Isaiah 41, 13, will hold your right hand 
saying to you, fear not, I will help you. Now think about that. How many of you have, a, have kids or have ever had kids or have ever seen a kid? Okay. <laughs> you know, think about when you're walking with your, you know, three or four-year-old kid, you're crossing a very busy street. What do you do? You got your hand, you got that kid in, in the lock grip. I mean, that kid's got no circulation in their arm because you're, you know, you're, you're, you're cranked onto them. Because why? Because you're making sure they get across this road safely. And so you're crossing the road, and that kid, he's half paying attention, and he's half tripping around, and what does he do? He trips and falls. You ever see that happen? You ever have that happen? What happens? Now they're hanging by their arm <laughs> from you. Why? Because you're not letting go for nothing. Because you're keeping that kid safe whether he wants to be safe or not. What's going on? That kid's not getting across that street in his own strength. That kid's getting across that street in your strength. And there's a big, big difference. See, that verse doesn't say, hold on to me, to my right hand. It says, I'm going to hold your right hand. How many of you know God's got a stronger grip than we do? True story, many years ago, there was a, a blimp that was taken off from an from a airport. You know, this is back in the early 2000s or early 1900s, back when blimps like to blow up in flames and do crazy things. And so there was a, a whole bunch of guys that were, that were trying to hold down this blimp with ropes, you know, before they launched. And a big, a big wind swept through and, and, and caught them off guard, and, and it swept that blimp off the ground. And what these guys were used to from time to time, you know, the blimp would kind of bump up in the air a little bit, and they'd hang on to it, and their weight would drag it back down. But this wind swept it way up, like 500 feet in the air. And some of them let go immediately, the smart ones. Um, the less smart ones got high enough off the ground that they realized, oops. And so they were hanging on for dear life. And it was a very tragic thing, true story, very tragic thing. Um, over the court, and it was like 45 minutes this thing was up in the air, and, and it was horribly person after person after person fell to their death because they couldn't hold on any longer. Very tragic. But long time later, this blimp finally comes down to the ground, and, they, and lo and behold, they find one guy that's still hanging to that blimp. There's one guy still there, and he's alive. And they're like, what in the world? How'd you survive? And he said, well, the moment we got up in the air, I realized I wasn't going to be, hang on, be able to hang on very long. So I took the rope that was hanging behind me and I wrapped it around myself and tied it off so that the rope held me up. That's what I'm talking about. See, he got to kick back and enjoy the view. Why? Because God <laughs> wants to hold you up with his strength if you'll let him. Now, he won't do it for you, but he'll do it with you. You know, help you walk it out day by day. Number three, a very important healthy habit, keeping a clear conscience before God and man. Keeping a clear conscience before God and man. Well, you know, I've tried to be a doer of the word, but you know, I, I keep messing up. I made mistakes along the way. You know, Paul said this in Acts 24. He said that he exercised himself to have a clear conscience. You know, exercise is something you choose. Exercise is something you do with diligence. And Paul made a purposed exercise in his life to keep his conscience clear before God and before man. Now, how does that work? Well, be quick to repent. Be quick to forgive. Be quick to say, I'm sorry. You know, 1 John 1, 9 is there for Christians. It says, when we sin, because God knows we're going to sin from time to time, it says, confess your sins 
to the Lord. He's faithful and just to forgive us of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God wants you to get past your sin and not be hung up and stuck in your sin. But see, what happens is this. 1 Peter 4 or 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. Um, Paul talks about some men who had a conscience that was seared with, with a hot iron. It was seared with a hot iron. What does that word seared mean? That, seared, that word seared in the Greek, it's the same word that, that we get the English word cauterized from. And if you don't know what the word cauterized means, you know, it's a lot of times it's a medical application where you like cauterize a blood vessel where you, where you, you know, you basically burn it, sear it, right, to, to stop it from bleeding or for whatever reason. And uh, it's, it's a searing process. Anybody ever drink super, super hot coffee or hot chocolate or something like that and, and burn your tongue and then you can't taste for the next six months? What happens? It's desensitized your tongue, right? Well, the same thing can happen to our conscience if we don't maintain a clear conscience before God and before man. See, it's almost like the background noise keeps turning up if we don't deal with it. You know, the Bible says this very clearly. It says, let him who has ears to hear hear what the Spirit is saying. Anybody ever been uh, uh, um, convicted by the Lord through your conscience? Maybe you do something or say something or, or something's going on in your life, and you just know. And that's, that's something from the inside. That's not condemnation. That's something from the inside out that goes, you know what, you, you, you probably ought not do that. Anybody ever experience that? If you haven't, you should give it a shot, okay? <laughs> it's a helpful tool in your life, all right? And it's the Lord speaking to us through our spirit, basically. But basically what it is is, 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 having to have, is keeping your ear tuned to what the Lord's telling us through, your, through His Word. You read the Bible and you come across a verse and you're like, oh, all right, I need to tweak something. Well, the way a person gets a seared conscience is they thrust away that voice. They thrust away that message that they heard from the Lord. So they're coming along and, and the Lord kind of nudges at them and goes, you know what, you ought not do that. And they go, eh. And they go along a little further, and the Lord nudges them again and says, you know, you really shouldn't go down that path. And they go, eh. And they're thrusting away their conscience. And see, what happens is this. You ever watch TV, and some rude family member comes along actually doing work in the house and vacuuming? You ever, you ever have that happen? You're minding your own business watching TV, and they come in with the vacuum cleaner. What happens? Well, the TV is still on. It's still broadcasting, and it's still broadcasting as loud as it was before, but I can't hear it now. Why? Because now there's something else that's drowning out the sound. And a seared conscience works the same way. It's like turning up the background noise to drown out what the Lord's trying to say to us through our spirit, through our conscience. And it reaches a place and a point in a person's life where their actual conscience can become so seared that they don't even notice it anymore. When I was in high school, I was a professional profanity person. I was good at it. I, I could cuss better than any sailor on the planet. And I was skilled. I was practiced. I was versed at it. I would create and make up my own, my own curse words, and I was really good at it. And... Um, I would cuss and cuss and cuss, and it didn't even bother me. But one day, you know, I, I knew, and, and I was a Christian. Guys, if you can help me, this would be great. Um, I knew I was a Christian, and I knew I shouldn't be doing it, but I so ignored 
things that I just became seared to it. And one day, I'd love to say it was this great spiritual thing that I did, but one day, a friend of mine who, who was in the same boat as I was, we made a bet, a $10 bet, to see who could cuss the least over the next 30 days. And so we proceeded to take a shot at this bet and got done with the first day. We were both very proud. How'd you do? I only cussed 43 times today. I only cussed 78 times today. Yay. So we get to the next day. And, you know, it didn't take long before you, you change, switch out your words. You know, it's not hard to stop if you're focused on doing something different. All right? So real quick, we, we basically reestablished our vocabulary. And over the course of 30 days, I'd quit cussing, you know, early in that process. And so we got to the end of 30 days. I don't remember who won, but we, whoever it was paid off the bet. And the very next day, I had no more constraint on me because the bet was over. And I remember the first time I cussed that next day. Man, my conscience just went whoosh. Don't do that. And I went, whoa. And it was strong and it was loud. But I ignored it. Went on, cussed again a little later. Ooh, don't do that. But it wasn't quite as loud. Went on, cussed a little later in the day. Still had this little tiny nudging, but ignored that one too. And probably within another day or two, I was back cussing like I was before, and it wasn't bothering me anymore. What happened? I had re-seared my conscience. See, it's important to keep a conscience clear before God and before man, because that'll help you not wander down paths, way down paths. All right? Listen, we all take steps in directions we shouldn't take. We shouldn't take trips in directions we shouldn't take, all right? And if you're walking down the path with the Lord, if you take a step over here and he goes, eh, 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 let's keep our conscience and heart clear enough before the Lord to where we go, you know what, that's right. And we step back in the right direction as opposed to further down that trail. And keeping a clear conscience will help us do that. Very important. Number four, very important one, choosing and maintaining a great attitude. How many think attitude's important? Look at this verse. I love this verse. Psalm 15, verse 15. This is in the King James Version. Psalm 15, 15. Maybe it's, I'm sorry, Proverbs 15, 15. It says this. It says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Now, that's a little hard to understand what he's getting at there. Let me read this to you from a different version. Listen to this. I love it. It says, When a man is gloomy... Everything seems to go wrong. When he is cheerful, everything seems right. Isn't that interesting? When a man is gloomy, everything seems to go wrong. But when he's cheerful, everything seems right. What's he talking about? He's talking about attitude. He's talking about perspective. The circumstances weren't any different. The approach and response to those circumstances was tremendously different because his attitude was dialed in. You know, Pastor Jim has a great attitude. Would you guys agree? He's got a great attitude every time you see him. Would you agree? Why is that? Because he chooses it. It's a choice. It's a decision. It only takes a moment to make an attitude adjustment. You ever heard your pastor say that? I've heard my pastor say that for years. Many years ago, this is probably 15, 18 years ago, when we were in Knoxville, we were with the Bible school. My wife, my lovely wife, Paula, she was coming to pick me up one night, I've, I've been there working late. It was real late at night. I've been there working late. I was tired. I was ready to get home. And I was, I was tired. I was wanting to go. 
And so she was supposed to get there at a certain time, and that certain time came and went, and she wasn't there yet. And I didn't like it. And I didn't know where she was, and this was before cell phones. And so I couldn't call her and find out where she was. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm getting more and more bothered. I'm getting more and more aggravated. And so I begin to prepare how I'm going to fuss at her when she gets there. And I've got all this worked up. You know, I'm going to give her what for, and, she, you know, I'll show her and all this. And so I've got all this planned, and I'm standing at the door waiting for her arrival, getting ready to let her have it. And all of a sudden, I'd love to say it was the Lord in the back of my head, but it was Pastor Jim in the back of my head <laughs> said, it only takes a moment to make an attitude adjustment. <laughs> I did not want to hear that. I didn't want an attitude adjustment. I wanted my attitude. I liked it. I'd been working on it. And so... I didn't want to adjust anything. And right at that exact moment, the headlights pulled into the parking lot. Paula was arriving. And so I was faced with a decision. That's either true or not. And of course, that's based clearly on multiple scriptures from the Word of God. And so I was faced with a decision. I can either walk this out and go out and yell at my wife, or I can make an attitude adjustment. And I made a choice right there at the door that I was going to change my attitude. Less than 30 seconds later, this all transpired in less than 30 seconds. I'm out in the car with Paula, and instead of yelling at her, I made a choice to greet her warmly and kindly. Didn't feel like it, didn't want to, but I chose to. But once I made the choice, and once I acted on the choice, the steam and the temperature dropped. The pressure released, right? And instead of yelling at my wife that I would have had to spend the next two hours fixing because <laughs> of the stupid thing I did, I greeted my wife lovingly and kindly, found out a very good understanding and explanation for why she wasn't there on time. We had a very pleasant ride home. Why? Because I chose a better attitude. It's a choice. It's a decision. But it's something that we have to choose. It's something we've got to do, guys. All right? Very important. You know, you can have a great attitude regardless of what circumstances you're facing. Take a look at Garcia. He always has a great attitude. Watch this. A big thanks to our sponsor, Les Schwab Tires, for our seven-day forecast. Let's take a look. If you look out your window right now, you can see that it's still raining. <laughs> Monday and Tuesday, we're gonna have some electrical activity included in that rain. You might wanna bring an umbrella. If you're sensitive to loud noises, plug your ears. Wednesday's gonna to start to clear up a little bit. Thursday's probably gonna be the best day of the week. Get out there and enjoy it because Friday, we're gonna have a massive heat up. You can see there's gonna be a lot of fire and brimstone, wailing and gnashing of teeth. An umbrella won't do you any good that day, kiddos. And on Saturday, well, what's the point? We'll all be dead. See, no matter what life is throwing at you, you can have a great attitude about it. There you go. Number five, very important number five, getting involved in a great local church. Oh, my gosh. Look at this, Psalm 92. Check it out. Psalm 92, verse 13, 14. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Who wants to be fresh and flourishing when you get older? But you know, one of the keys to that is being planted in the house of the Lord. Now, there's a difference. Look, look at this life point. 
There's a difference between being somewhere and being firmly planted. All right? Uh, there's a, a nursery that, that's between my house and the church. And the other morning after we'd had a big uh, windstorm come through, I was driving to the church to work. And almost every one of the plants and bushes and shrubs and trees at that nursery was blown over, laying on its side. Why is that? They weren't rooted. They weren't grounded. They weren't firmly planted. And a lot of Christians, they go to church. But going to church and being planted are two completely different things. Just going to church is like, you know, like moving your pot into the church building, sitting through a service, and then moving your pot back out. All right? And many times when the things of life come blowing at us, it's hard to hold up. Now, obviously, I'm not putting the church foundation ahead of your, Christian, your foundation in Christ. That's your key, of course. But being firmly grounded in the church is important, too. And what he's describing in that verse we looked at before in Psalm 92 sounds a whole lot like life to the full till it overflows, doesn't it? All right? And he's talking about the importance of being firmly grounded in the church. You know, Pastor Jim's faithful and active involvement in his local church opened doors to get him where he is today. My faithful and consistent involvement in local church led to, to where, what I'm doing today. No, I'm not saying if you're faithful in your local church, you're going to be a pastor one day. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, if you'll be faithful in the local church and get in and get rooted and get grounded, you will find yourself much more readily discovering God's plan and God's purpose for your life and walking it out and being able to walk it out day by day, wherever that is and whatever it involves. Very important part. Number six is reaching out to bless others. Here's your sixth healthy habit. Look at this life point. God has you on his mind so you can get you off of your mind. You know, Romans 5, 5 says the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. God put his love in your heart, but he put it there so you could love other people with it. Okay? Um, uh, Jeremiah 31, 3 says that God loves us with an everlasting love. That's a pretty lengthy love. Isn't it? It's good stuff. Romans 5, 8 says he loves us so much even while we were sinners. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. God put the love of God in us so that we can express that to other people. And if we'll get our eyes off ourselves and on others, that's a big part of what Pastor is going to be talking about this weekend. Talking about giving, talking about getting our focus off of ourselves and on giving to others, not just money, but giving of ourselves, giving love, giving encouragement, giving hope, giving help. Pastor Jim does that better than anybody I've seen. And it's amazing the fun that you can have when you just bless somebody. It, this is so funny. Uh, I mentioned earlier my, my, our son is in, in the Army. He's stationed in Fort Lewis, Washington, all the way out on the West Coast. That's a long way away. And so we had the privilege of getting to go out and visit him <clears throat> about three or four weeks ago. And so three weeks ago today, we were out in Washington State. Now it was about 160 degrees here with 100% humidity. You guys were just swimming in sweat three weeks ago today. I mean, it was hot. We were hiking through snow on Mount Rainier three weeks ago today. It was, we were having a blast, hiking up the side of Mount Rainier in the middle of Washington. Now, picture that and picture this. So we're, we're, we've hiked all around. We're playing in the snow. We're having a blast. We're on the way down, and we run into this young couple that's coming up the mountain, and they're trying to figure out how to take a picture of themselves, a selfie, and so Paula very kindly just approached him and said, hey, you know, let me, can I help you? Can I take your picture? Yeah, yeah. So we struck up a conversation, just had a blast talking with those guys for a while. 
And so we talked a little more and started talking in a little more depth and found out, you know, where are you from? Well, we're from Tennessee. Where are you from? Well, we're from Tennessee. Really? Whereabouts? Well, you know, we're from right outside of Nashville. Where are you from? Well, we're from right outside of Nashville. And it turns out these guys live in Old Hickory, Tennessee, down in Don or down in, actually down in Donaldson. And so we got to invest, invite, and include on the side of Mount Rainier, Washington, <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest, three weeks ago. Why? Because it was just it was just part of connecting with people and reaching out, loving people, and encouraging people, and it was really quite fun. So, guys, listen, that's a big part of our Christianity. It's a big part of what we do. It's a big part of what we do as a church. You know, we've got our, our biggest, uh, probably our biggest Joy to Go outreach of the year coming up as far as number of people fed coming up on the 30th of this month. We're going over to Charlie Daniels Park. There's a big community event where they have this Ava splash pad event. Everybody comes in, brings their kids. They all play at the splash pad. Guess who feeds them all? We do. Guess how the city is advertising this event? Come on out. Joy Church is feeding y'all. That's fantastic. Of course we want them to do that. And of course we're privileged and honored to do that. So we're going to feed the community in a big, big way. Come on out and be a part of it. Sign up out at guest services. We'd love for you to serve in that. So fun to bless people. So fun to feed people. So fun to connect with people and to serve people and to give to people. That's a great, great thing. Now, we talked about six healthy habits, all right? How to enjoy abundant life. Christianity is simple. It's in the daily schedule. It's in the daily details. It's in the disciplines. You know, a lot of experts will tell you it takes about 21 days, three weeks. If you do something readily, consistently on a day-to-day -day basis, it'll take you about three weeks to establish a new habit. I wholeheartedly believe that because that's been the case in my own life when I've chosen to do something consistently enough within, you know, I'm not saying it's an exact science 21 days, but within the first month, you got a habit going. That works in the positive and that can work in the negative. Really, it takes about a week to lose a habit. I'm, I mean that seriously. And it takes about three to four weeks to, to gain a new habit. Put some of these habits in place in your life and watch how you will come further and further down that path of abundant life that God designed for you. Let me give you a great example. Best example that I can think of is Pastor Jim. We looked at all these different habits, right? Pastor Jim is the most self-disciplined person that I've ever met, ever, in my life. And he is extremely self-disciplined. You guys see some of that, but you see a lot more of the, the, the fun, playful element of him and his teaching here. Behind the scenes, that's still there, but behind the scenes, we get to see... The, the diligence and the stability and the consistency of his daily schedule. And I've never seen anybody that more consistently spent time with God, that more consistently spent time with and prioritized his family, that more consistently prioritized exercise and good eating habits, that more consistently prioritized good, good habits in the area of his finances, and that more consistently practices good habits with the ministry. And guess what? Every single one of those areas in the Freese's life is flourishing. Coincidence? I don't think so.